Hello, Willingdon Church family and everyone else tuning into the service. It's great to have you with us. My name is Jordan and I serve as one of the pastors here. During the last number of weeks, we have been going through a series called Open and Unashamed, taking a look at some of our favorite Psalms. And today I have the honor of sharing with you from Psalm 73. And that is a Psalm that God used to change my life profoundly when I was in a really dark place a few years ago. Well, we are living in extraordinary times where social media, digital marketing, the film industry, and many other avenues of communication provide a nonstop flow of entertainment and even connection for us. One of their dark sides, however, is that they often only show us the highlight reels of how other people live, which can make us feel pretty bad about our own lives and cause us to become jealous of what other people have. We never actually see the normal or mundane things that people do in their lives. No, we only really see the best moments and assume that's what people's lives always look like. Our constant exposure to such carefully curated content can either leave us feeling inspired and entertained, or perhaps more often feeling insecure and dissatisfied with our own lives. And really, that is the whole power of marketing in all of its forms, to create dissatisfaction within us. The worse we feel about ourselves, the more we will pursue the things other people have that seem to make them happy. I've noticed a great deal of envy in myself as I look at other people on social media or at things I wish I had as I'm bombarded with advertisements every single day. At times, this envy can even lead me to doubting God's goodness and provision in my life. I mean, if God can do anything and I'm one of his children striving to live a life that's pleasing to him, then shouldn't I have more of the good things I desire? Today, I want to talk with you all about envy and doubt, two very common yet challenging aspects of our lives. But before we get into the psalm for today, I want us to ask ourselves, where do we see envy showing up in our lives? When you see someone who is more physically attractive or intelligent or wealthy than you are, or maybe they have a better family or more possessions or anything else that you value highly, Do you feel joyful for them or jealous of them? Envy is no minor issue. It might seem harmless when we look at the neighbor's new car and think, I need one of those too, or they don't deserve that. I work way harder. Or if we see our friend's new boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse and think, it's not fair that they got someone like that. I'm a way better person. It might seem innocent for a moment, but it's actually showing a deep dissatisfaction that we have and a prideful belief that we are most often better than everyone we compare ourselves to. Far from being innocent, envy is an insidious, destructive force that drives a wedge between us and God and between us and others. Getting a handle on envy is worthy of attention because if left unchecked, it takes us in the exact opposite direction of the greatest commandment, which is to love God with everything we have and to love others as ourselves. Envy also leads us to doubting God. The reason for this is because we look to God as our provider, as the one who can do all things. So if we're not receiving or experiencing the good things we want and see that other people have them, 
then it causes us to either doubt God's love for us or even doubt his existence. Well, today we are looking at Psalm 73, which was written by a worship leader named Asaph. And in this particular Psalm, he shamelessly vents his struggles with envy and doubt. And I hope that you're encouraged by that fact alone, that Asaph, one of the greatest worship leaders in ancient Israel's history, a man who wrote 12 of the Psalms in the Bible, writes openly and unashamedly about how discontent he was with God, how jealous he was of what other people had, and that he actually regretted wasting his time and energy trying so hard to live righteously because it looked like God didn't follow through on the promises he made to his people. Clearly, God is not intimidated or troubled by us voicing our deepest frustrations and even the doubts we have in him because he gave us psalms like this to help guide and inform our prayers. Judging by this psalm alone, we can see that God actually prefers it when we are completely honest with him in our prayer lives, rather than trying to stuff our real emotions and pretending to be all super spiritual when we pray as if nothing ever bothers us. So with that being said, let's get into the text now for today. Psalm 73 is fairly lengthy, but I want to start by reading it in its entirety before we begin to unpack the depth and the power within it. So this is what Psalm 73 has to say. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked." They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. 
you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing I desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Asaph starts out this psalm with a declaration of truth. He confidently asserts that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This statement of faith forms the foundation of this psalm. Asaph knows this to be true and therefore declares it over his life. Wouldn't it be sweet if we started all of our days by doing this? This is a powerful exercise that orients our minds and our hearts to know God's truth so that no matter what comes our way, no matter what challenges we face, we can always have God's promises present on our minds and in our hearts. But Asaph now faces a problem. He believes what he says in verse one is true, but his experience of life seems very different. In verse two, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Although Asaph believed that God is good to Israel and shows favor and blessing to those who are pure in heart, What he saw all around him was arrogant, evil people living in far greater blessing, success, and prosperity than he was. This didn't add up. Asaph was one of God's chosen people, an upright man of solid character who faithfully followed what God commanded him. And God promises throughout his word that he would bless and provide prosperity to his faithful people. Clearly, if God's promises were true, then Asaph should have been far better off than all of the evil people in the world around him. Well, Asaph goes on to share his observations that caused him to be envious of the people around him and to doubt God's promises. Listen again to some of the statements that he makes. In verse four, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse five, they are free from common human burdens. Their their evil imaginations have no limits. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. So far in this psalm, Asaph has declared God's truth and then stacked up his experience of life against it to see if God's truth actually holds up. And what he sees in this moment is that his experience of life did not resemble God's truth and promises. God promised that good things would happen to his people if they were faithful. Yet Asaph is seeing that all of the good things seem to be happening to the worst people. As a result, he has begun to spiral into a dark pit of envying the people around him and doubting God's goodness and trustworthiness. Have you been here before? I know I certainly have. 
Around four years ago, I got myself into a deep pit of envy and doubt through overworking myself for many years and becoming very unhealthy, both mentally and physically. I took on way too much responsibility, giving so much of myself to serve in the church, keep up good grades in school, and balance a social life on top of it all. I thought I had infinite energy and could just keep on pouring out. And after living like that for multiple years, it finally caught up with me and I crashed. This wasn't me simply needing a one-week vacation to rest. No, it was a two and a half year journey of recovering from panic attacks, anxiety, bouts of depression, and physical and emotional exhaustion. I went from being a capable, exuberant young leader to an internally crippled, exhausted young man. As my constant state of anxiety and exhaustion went on for multiple years with no sign of recovery, I began to doubt that I would ever be able to work, study, or serve again in any capacity. I was prepared to move home with my parents for the rest of my life and live as a dependent. During this challenging season, I became pretty angry with God. I mean, I had done so much for him. I had pushed myself so hard to try and live without sin. I was serving as a leader of multiple growing ministries. I'd sacrificed so much time, money, and energy to advancing his kingdom, and I felt completely let down by God. I mean, it was his job to sustain me, to make me joyful and satisfied in life as long as I was serving him, right? But instead, he let me crash and burn. After over a year of suffering through this seemingly unending burnout, I started to sense this sting of envy in my soul. As I went about my days, I saw so many people who did not know God, they'd never acknowledged or worshiped or sacrificed anything for him, Yet they had everything I wanted and thought I deserved. They had energy, careers, and endless opportunities to have fun in any way they wanted without guilt. I saw people around me living shamelessly sinful lives and feeling great doing it. They were engaging in all the things that I gave up when I started following Jesus, Jesus, yet their circumstances appeared to be only getting better. But as for me, after passionately following Jesus, It only led to me becoming burned out with nothing to offer the world around me anymore. I really identified with Asaph as he wrestled with the unfairness and disorientation of his experience. He states his conclusion in the next stanza in verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. I remember when I first read this psalm during that low point of my burnout, I gave a hearty amen to what Asaph said. I mean, why the heck did I waste my time trying so hard to be a good Christian, denying so many forms of pleasure and instant gratification for the sake of being righteous? All it did was cripple me and leave me feeling hopeless about the future. If I turned back to my old ways, at least I could experience some momentary satisfaction in life because trying to go the way of Jesus wasn't giving me any joy at that point in my journey. Asaph gives such a raw, honest response to his circumstances, but really, what other choice is he left with? God made him a promise that good things would happen to him if he kept his heart pure as one of God's chosen people. 
Yet all he sees is people who've rejected God, people who engage in all sorts of twisted and evil behaviors, having a way better life than he does. There is a really important insight in Asaph's response that I don't want us to miss. Asaph was doing all of the right things in his life. He was following God's laws, obeying his commands, playing by the rules, but why? Asaph's confession of envying the people, the evil people around him reveals his true motivation for obeying God's laws. Notice the object of Asaph's envy. He didn't envy the wicked and arrogant people because of their relationship with God. No, he envied them because of their stuff. He didn't actually want God, he wanted stuff. His response showed that ultimately he saw God as a means to the end of getting the stuff he wanted. Let me say that again. Asaph saw God as a means to the end of getting the stuff he wanted. Asaph related to God as a contractual relationship, basically saying, okay, God, if I do what you say, then you have to give me all the things, all the circumstances that I desire. If I live righteously, then I expect good health, wealth, a spouse, career, a good education, successful children, good retirement plan, you fill in the blank. By seeing our relationship with God as an exchange of goods, we make ourselves so susceptible to experiencing envy. We say that we deserve the good things that other people have because we think we're better. We are more moral. We are more spiritual. We are more righteous. Because of all the great things we do for God, he should reward us with the best circumstances in life. So when God doesn't come through on the blessings we desire, we begin to doubt his goodness, even his existence. It was never about wanting God for himself. It was more so about using a belief in God to try and get the things we actually want. By going down this road, we are actually rejecting God's grace in our lives. By focusing on trying to get the things we want, we miss the thing we most deeply need, which is God's grace. Fortunately, the psalm does not end there. Asaph experiences a profound change in orientation as he's brought to the end of himself. In verse 15, he goes on to say, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Asaph realized that things weren't adding up. God's promises and his experience of life could not be reconciled, and it left him deeply disturbed and troubled. That being said, Asaph did not let go of the truth statements that he made in verse one. He maintained that it was true, but because of his circumstances being totally opposite to that truth, he had to work out what exactly his worldview now was. What do we do when we believe in God's promises, but we don't see them showing up in our lives? What do you do when you believe God is your provider, yet you lose your job? What do you do when you believe God is your healer, yet you struggle with illness for your entire life? What do you do when you believe God is your comfort, yet you cry yourself to sleep every night and can't cope with the challenges and traumas of your life? What do you do when you believe God is your closest friend, yet you so often feel lonely, even when you're around other people? What do we do? This is where things changed for Asaph. 
And I submit to you today that it is the only response and solution to our problems of envy and doubt. Verse 17 says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Asaph entered into the presence of God. That was the turning point. God's presence is the antidote to envy and doubt, nothing less. So far in our journey through the psalm today, I hope you've been able to identify areas in your life that you struggle with envy and doubt. I hope you know what the battles are that you're fighting. But please trust me when I say this. Apart from being in the presence of God, apart from experiencing his perfect love and the filling of his Holy Spirit, you will never truly be delivered or set free from those struggles. When we spend time in God's presence, we begin to see how trivial and temporary the things are that we used to long for. When we are in God's presence, we are reminded of how short our lives on this side of eternity are. When we are in God's presence, we realize that we can be satisfied. We can be deeply content regardless of what our circumstances are. When we are in God's presence, we begin to look more at people's hearts with love rather than looking at their stuff with discontentment. God's presence is the antidote to envy and doubt. After spending time in the presence of God, Asaph gained a whole new perspective on life. He goes on to say about the very same people he was just envying before. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In the presence of God, Asaph's focus and perspective shifted from the narrowness of only seeing himself in light of his immediate circumstances to seeing the majesty and the greatness of God. He saw that even though people are enjoying various pleasures in life right now, even though people are getting their fill of everything they desire and were not, there will come a time when they will all be held accountable by God. We will all be held accountable by God for our entire lives. If these same evil people that Asaph was envying don't turn to God and forsake their destructive ways— then they will ultimately be destroyed by God and fail to receive the eternal life that Jesus died so that we all could have. As a result of this moment of clarity, Asaph realizes how he was wrong and corrects himself from denying God's goodness. He sees that his self-centeredness and only seeking God so he could get the things he wanted was ignorant, narrow-minded, and totally incorrect. And here is where we see a beautiful picture of God's grace in the midst of Asaph's troubles. Asaph concludes this psalm by saying, verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I still remember the first time I read those words and how profoundly comforting they were to my soul. The way I entered into God's presence was through a frustrating time while reading his word and dwelling on my crappy circumstances. And then God completely surprises me by showing up with his loving and peaceful presence. Just as my anger towards God and feelings of discontentment were spinning out of control, I was suddenly met with such deep consolation as God's presence shone into the darkness of my situation. I realized that when everything I held onto was stripped away, when I was brought to the end of myself and shown how little control I had over my life, that his presence would always be enough for me. It was the only thing in this life that is always guaranteed to be there. The reality that nothing in this world compares to the goodness and presence of God finally went from being a theological truth in my head to a beautiful conviction in my heart. As God's truth went from my head to my heart, I was able to live in the freedom and the joy of his presence more than ever before. But it certainly did not come without tremendous struggle. Friends, if you are in this space right now, feeling disturbed by envy and doubt, you are not alone. I have been there before. It is not easy, but you are not alone. And I beg you, do not ignore this experience. As painful as it is, do not avoid this season of life because the resolution of what you're going through could be one of the most important and defining moments in your relationship with God. It was for me, and I am eternally grateful for it. So please, friends, keep going. Keep pursuing the presence of God, and your path to healing will be the way that you connect with God by intentionally making time and space to practice those things. And a great step for you to start with is by connecting with others, maybe a D group, maybe just close friends, and sharing your struggles. Because one of the most powerful experiences for me was hearing about the tough things other people went through and getting to share my darkest moments with trusted friends. Through Psalm 73, we see that just like Asaph, we need to explore the depths of our dissatisfaction with God. We need to unpack the disorientation we experience when our circumstances don't seem to align with God's promises. We need to vent and bluntly state the painful things that we go through. We need to be open and unashamed before God. God allowed Asaph to get to the logical extent of his bitterness until he realized that he can't fully understand the problems of life, that there is a mysteriousness to the way things are and the way God acts at times that will never be understood until we are with God face to face. And the only way out of our dark pits of despair is to allow the brilliant light of God's presence to shine into our situation. We are to seek and enjoy God's presence above all else. And if we allow ourselves to go on the same journey that Asaph did, we too will have to process and wade through all of the painful doubts and feelings of envy that weigh us down. We too will have to cry out to God and voice the dissatisfaction and confusion that we feel. 
But we also know that if we are able to lay down our desires and see the immense glorious value of God's presence and love in our lives, then we too, like Asaph, can joyfully declare, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We may not get everything we desire in this life, but should we venture to seek after God's presence, we will be able to say at least, as for me, it is good to be near God no matter what. Your difficult situation may be self-inflicted like mine, and it might not be. But either way, we need to realize that God might heal us, and he might not. God might give us what we want in this life, but he might not. What really matters, no matter what our circumstances are, is that our faith and hope are not rooted in the things we will get from this life or the things we will accomplish in this life. No, Our joy and satisfaction are not based off whether we have what other people have. The hope that we have is in the presence of God. It is in eternal life with God and every other follower of Jesus. That is the greatest gift we could ever receive. And this gift is fully available to everyone who desires to know the one true God and give their lives to him. So if you desire to experience the same love and freedom that Asaph and myself and so many others have experienced in our relationship with God, if you want to experience the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing that every single bad thing that you've done in your life can be forgiven, that you can be set free, if you desire this today, then please join me in praying this prayer. Dear God, I see your goodness on display. I thank you for the way that you have changed so many lives. And God, I want you to change my life too. God, please forgive me for all the ways that I've hurt other people and all the ways that I've even hurt myself. God, I want to live forever in your loving presence. And Lord Jesus, I accept you as my God, as my Savior, as the one who can give me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, that is amazing. And I'm so encouraged that you just began the journey of following Jesus. And I would encourage you, feel free to send me an email or reach out to any friends that you have who might know Jesus, who who are Christians. And yeah, just take advantage of all the resources that you can to get connected, find out more about our church and just ways that you can be in community because you're just at the start of your journey and there's so much to learn. There's so much goodness to experience along the way and God will take you through all the challenging circumstances with his presence. And now for the rest of our church, I would just love to pray over you all as we go from here in light of what we learned today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know the immense challenges that we face as your beloved children. God, you know all the pain that we feel, the cries of our heart, oh God, you know the things that weigh us down. And God, We thank you for this message of Psalm 73 through Asaph, of his experience of having his life transformed 
when he finally entered into your presence. And God, that is what we long for. We want to be in your presence. And so God, as everyone goes from here and they go into their regular rhythms of life, I pray that you would be showing up in new ways, God, that people would have fresh encounters with your presence, whether it's through reading the Bible, through praying, through singing worship songs, God, that you would be speaking to us, showing up in our lives when we're out and about, when we're on hikes or at work, cooking dinner, whatever it is, God, We want to be with you and we pray, Lord, that we would draw closer to you and continue to know you better. You are our everything. There is nothing on earth we desire besides you. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.